Welcome to the Healthful Woman Podcast. Today's Monday, July 26th, 2021. Hope you guys are all enjoying your summer. Hope it's relaxing. Maybe get to take some vacation. And I hope you're enjoying our podcasts. We're continuing to drop throughout the summer. Every Monday, we're dropping a Healthful Woman Podcast. And every Thursday, a high-risk birth story. My guest today is Dr. Jacqueline Bonder. Jacqueline is a physician in New York City who specializes in rehab medicine. Most of her practice is working with women who have musculoskeletal pain or dysfunction during and after pregnancy. We have had three prior podcasts related to this topic, so you might want to check those out as well. In March, Dr. Rachel Barr came on the Healthful Woman podcast to talk about pelvic pain in general. In January, Rifki Chudnoff came on the Healthful Woman podcast to talk about pelvic health and therapy. And just a few weeks ago, we had a high-risk birth story on a maternal birth injury. The point being, many women have pain during and after pregnancy, and it's really hard to find good information about that topic and certainly doctors who treat it, which is why I'm so happy to have Jacqueline on the podcast today to talk about this important topic, how she evaluates women with pain during and after pregnancy, and ultimately how she treats it. Thanks for listening, everyone. Have a great day. See you Thursday for high-risk birth stories, and also a heads up for next week. My daughter, Neely Fox, will be making her podcast debut on the Healthful Woman podcast one week from today. Welcome to today's episode of Healthful Woman, a podcast designed to explore topics in women's health at all stages of life. I'm your host, Dr. Nathan Fox an OBGYN and maternal fetal medicine specialist practicing in New York City. At Helpful Woman, I speak with leaders in the field to help you learn more about women's health, pregnancy, and wellness. All right, Dr. Jacqueline Bonder, welcome to the podcast. So happy to have you on. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So you are, as you know, but our listeners might not, you're an associate professor of clinical rehabilitation medicine at Cornell in New York City, and you have a expertise and an interest in women's health, pelvic pain, and pregnant and postpartum pain. So I thought you'd be an unbelievable resource for our listeners. Thank you for taking the time. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. I'm looking forward to the, the spring and summer weather finally being here and taking masks off and enjoying being outside uh, as much as possible in the next couple of weeks. But Awesome. Now, just so our listeners understand, wh- what exactly is a rehabilitation medicine, sometimes called physiatry. Like there's a lot of names. What exactly do you do? Sure. That's a very good question. Most people have never heard of physiatry or know what a rehab medicine doctor is or a physical medicine rehabilitation doctor, which we have a couple of different names. And most people don't know what one is until you've actually gone and see one. Um, and sometimes even after that, people are aware because we often get called sports medicine doctors or pain doctors. I mean, so there's really a lot of different names that we are ended up giving. So physiatry or physical medicine and rehabilitation is our, our official title. Um, our board certification is in physical medicine and rehabilitation. And what that really is, is basically a specialty that kind of combines some neurology and orthopedics. And so we learn a lot about the neurologic system as well as the orthopedic system and the musculoskeletal system and kind of use that to evaluate, treat, and uh, diagnose patients with different types of musculoskeletal and neurologic conditions. But different than the orthopedist, we don't do surgery. So everything that we usually offer is kind of non-operative. And so trying 
to treat musculoskeletal disorders from a functional standpoint, trying to get athletes back to onto the field and kind of rehabbing back from a from an injury or pregnant women, um, rehabbing them out of their pain and kind of helping them get through functionally through their pregnancy if they're having some pain to to help them get through their daily life and activities to feel better and kind of move through their uh, regular workday or, you know, taking care of their kids they have at home already. You know, there's also, there's neurologic physiatrists that kind of specialize more in taking care of like MS or multiple sclerosis patients that kind of have side effects or, or downstream results of their, their, or weakness and things like that from their MS. And so there's physiatrists that kind of help from that standpoint too. So, but it really, in summary, is kind of a combination of a little bit of neurology and a little bit of orthopedics doing non-surgical management of pain and other disorders. I think a lot of people get confused and they sort of think that what you do is the same as what a physical therapist would do. Obviously, it's totally different training. You're, you know, went to medical school, you're a physician, and then you did specialty training, whereas physical therapists, their training has changed over the years. How exactly are your roles different in taking care of a patient or helping a patient recover from an injury or a condition? That's a, a good point as well. We often, if someone comes to our office and they don't actually know what we are, who we, what we do, a lot of times they do think that we are the physical therapists. A lot of times doctors will say, oh, you know, you need, you probably need some physical therapy here. Go see Dr. Bonder or go see Dr. So-and-so. When they come to us and they think they're seeing the physical therapist, but we're actually not, like you said, we have, I'm a medical doctor. So I went to medical school and then did my training. And the difference is, is that we're able to evaluate a patient medically in terms of other medical conditions that might be affecting someone's issue that they're seeing us for and kind of taking into account all the other medical issues that they may have. And then we can also kind of, you know, evaluate and, and diagnose the problem or testing, whether that's imaging or laboratory data, kind of help differentiate between what might be causing their symptoms and then coming up with a treatment plan. And part of that treatment plan may be physical therapy. And that's when we'll often refer to a physical therapist. And I, I often say that we speak the same language as the physical therapist. We learn a lot about physical therapy and all the modalities that they use and the types of exercises that they may do in our training we learn all of that and so it's just one aspect of what we may prescribe and what we may use as treatment to kind of help patients and often is the first thing that we prescribe when relevant because i always say that you know exercise is, is medicine you know it's a type of medicine and it's a type of of treatment that is low risk and can be very helpful for a lot of patients so the PTs and the physical or the physical therapists will then go on to kind of work with the patient more regularly and see them weekly and help come up with exercises and make sure they're doing the exercises correctly. And they certainly can do a lot of evaluation too. But even sometimes their evaluations and their kind of their diagnoses that they come up with are a little bit more of a mechanical based diagnoses that we don't really necessarily learn about in medical school. So, you know, things that kind of really take into motion of the body is more of a kinesthetic or kinesiology-based right. diagnosis. Interesting. And then how did you get interested in this field when you, when you were in medical school? So in terms of uh, rehab medicine, or we shorten it sometimes for PM&R, I was actually going to go to physical therapy school when I was in college. I thought about going to physical therapy school, and I looked into doing that, and I did a bunch of volunteer work and realized that when I was doing all of that, that I was really more the, the medical aspect of things that I was interested in. And so I decided to pursue medicine and go into medical school. And then, you know, so so because of that, physiatry and, and PM&R or PM&R really became a natural specialty for me that 
that I decided that I was kind of going to do very early on. And I'll thank my mom and give her a, a plug here. But she was the one who introduced me to to a physiatrist and what it was because she, someone told her to go see one, you know, almost 30, 35 years ago. And so she saw one when, for different back pain and things that where, where we lived. And she was like, oh, I think that this would be great for what you do. So, or what you are interested in. And so that's how I really learned about it. And then was lucky enough to go to NYU for medical school, which has, has a big rehab program and one of the first, actually the first rehab program in the country. In medical school though, I kind of decided, I declared that I was gonna go into rehab medicine, but then OBGYN rotation came along and I got really interested in that too and really enjoyed my OBGYN rotation and ultimately decided to combine the two. And that's how I got to this kind of specialty and niche of, of women's health, PM&R, women's health rehab, and seeing the population that I see. So when you were doing your training in rehab medicine, you sort of had a, a sense at the time that you may end up specializing or subspecializing in treating women you know, in general and also pregnancy and postpartum? Correct. There was a brief time in medical school where I was like, oh, maybe I'll go into OBGYN instead of rehab medicine. But then it kind of pulled me back into the rehab medicine side for many different reasons. When I finally got into residency, I had this idea that I was going to kind of specialize in women's health like in that, or I don't remember where it when exactly came to me, but I had this kind of thought process that I would be able to maybe combine the two. Oh, that's so cool. And what, how is your practice now? Like what percentage of your patients are a women and be pregnant or postpartum? Is it 100%, 80%, 50%? My practice is mostly women. I'd say it's about 80, 85% women. Uh -huh. um, the small percentage of men that I see is I see men with pelvic pain and pelvic floor dysfunction and pelvic floor issues. And those are the only men that I traditionally will usually see unless I friend father is like, can you see me? But usually that that doesn't happen. Even then sometimes I'm like, no, you know, you don't want to see me because I, 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 I do, I do it so rarely these days that you can get different and more specific care from someone else. But anyway, so the majority of my population and patient population is certainly women. And then in terms of pregnant and postpartum, I'd say 50, 50 in terms of pregnancy and postpartum and then more of like the specific kind of pelvic pain and pelvic floor issues and uh -huh. things that I, I also see. But the pregnancy and postpartum issues are really my, my love and my passion and really how I decided to go into women's health was really to, to, to work with that population. And then I'll see other general musculoskeletal issues here and there. Right. Um, but really my practice is the most of my patients are some sort of pelvic pain, pelvic floor dysfunction, and then the pregnancy and postpartum related issues. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't realize how common it is for pregnant women, and I'm including postpartum, to have pelvic pain. I mean, certainly women who have been pregnant know this, but for anyone who's never been pregnant, what men or women, I think they find it to be surprising how common it is. And I mean, we're referring patients to all the time. I mean, you're like our go-to person, like our speed dial <laughs> person, because it's just so common and not a lot of people know how to treat it. Because like you said, do you see a neurologist? Do you see an orthopedic surgeon? Do you see someone who says they're a sports medicine doctor? And they don't really touch on all the areas that need to be assessed. And you're like one of the people who really looks at it globally and can actually do a full assessment. And you're willing to see pregnant women. It's, it's a difficult population for people because they don't usually see pregnant people. They don't know what to do about it. I think the term pelvic pain is also really hard because the, there's no, the definition is so vague right. or really what is the pelvis? What is pelvic? What is vaginal? What is rectal? You know, what is bony? You know, so 
I always try to differentiate between this idea of like pelvic girdle pain right. versus pelvic pain. Um, and thinking like pelvic girdle pain is more of like a musculoskeletal origin of pain and pelvic pain is more of gynecologic or lower abdomen or bladder or vaginal or rectal, which certainly could be musculoskeletal. But yeah, it's hard because I think the that just use the term pelvic pain is very, very big. It's not like shoulder pain. It's right. pretty clear what your shoulder is um, versus pelvic pain. It can be really difficult to define and pelvic pain in a pregnant woman is, can be very, very different than pelvic pain in a you know, 75-year-old. Let's talk about the, the pelvic girdle pain in pregnancy. So first of all, why does it happen in pregnancy specifically? And what is exactly going on for women who have this pain? Like, what are the possible causes? So pelvic girdle pain, if you look it up by definition, is really anything, any pain kind of from the the waist or kind of what we medically call the iliac crest, but like it's kind of where most people think their waist starts to the gluteal fold, which is kind of that area where your kind of buttock, you know, meets your thigh and anything kind of in between. And so, so either whether it's in the front or the back, that is something that I, I will usually call pelvic girdle pain. And so anything in between there can can really ca- cause symptoms of, of musculoskeletal pain. And so within that area, it's the, the pubic bone and the pubic joint, it's the hip joints, it's the, the joints we call the sacroiliac joints, which are the joints in the, in the buttock area. It can sometimes be the low back and the lower lumbar region. And then there's there's a lot of muscles in that area too that can be the source of symptoms. And whether it's weakness in those muscles causing joint pain or joint pain causing muscle strain um, and muscle uh, pain, it you know kind of all interplays. And that's kind of where I come in in terms of figuring out a diagnosis versus just saying, oh, it's low back pain in pregnancy or it's SI joint pain in pregnancy or, or sacroiliac pain and figuring out what might be interwoven. Right. And w- what is the reason that it's more common in pregnant women? probably the most common reason why it's more common in, in pregnant women and why we see it in pregnant and postpartum women is is because of the increased instability of the pelvic joints during pregnancy as a result of the relaxin hormone that gets released during pregnancy, which is what make, which is exactly what it sounds, that relaxes the ligaments and so makes everything a little bit more loosey-goosey. And so things start to open, your pelvis starts to open to accommodate the the baby and the uterus and and then the ribs start to expand and everything kind of opens up but the the pelvic girdle pain comes from that expansion of your hips and your pelvis to accommodate the pregnancy and prepare for delivery delivery ultimately and then what ends up happening is that most of those joints in your pelvis or joints that I'm kind of referring to that we see a lot of that that you and I both kind of talk about a lot is um, these sacroiliac joints, which are the joints in the buttock, like I mentioned, in the in the backside, and then the pubic bone, which or the pubic symphysis joint, which is more like the pubic bone. And those joints are usually very, very stable joints. They're not joints that are meant to move like your shoulders or your hips or your knees and bend and, you know, go in circles or move around or be able to move in different directions. And so those joints are normally very stiff and stable and meant to kind of help keep your pelvis in line when you move. But during pregnancy, they're more unstable than they usually are. And so when they become unstable, your muscles need to start to kick in a little bit more than they usually do to kind of stabilize those joints. And if your muscles are weak, you may start to get pain in those muscles. And then because those joints are more unstable, they start to get a little unhappy and start to get inflamed. And you may get pain from that too, from the joint itself. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's a really good explanation. And you know, what I try to sort of when I'm when I'm explaining it to to my patients, what's going on, 
I sort of say like, you know, that our, our, the pelvis, which is essentially like, like a circle, you know, and eventually the baby has to go through there. It's made of two like C-shaped structures that meet in the middle. And in the front, they touch at this pubic symphysis. And in the back, they sort of each attach to your spine. And that sort of, those interactions really shift a ton in pregnancy. And, and they need to, because a baby's got to get through there, you know, sort of biologically. And so they have to get you know, as you said, loosey goosey, which for our listeners, that's a medical term. Sorry for being so technical <laughs> with you. Literally just this afternoon, a patient said to me, my God, like, I feel like my legs falling off and my hips are like going in weird directions and it hurts. And it's just, she was like, essentially explaining, you know, in her words, exactly what you're describing. I, of course, you know, gave her your name and number and said, we're podcasting tonight. <laughs> so she was interested to hear that, but this happens all the time. And is there any reason that we know of why some women this would cause a lot of pain and other women not? Is it is it just sort of luck or are there sort of risk factors that women come into pregnancy with that would put them at a higher chance of having this kind of pain? Sure. So I think that as far as we know, there's a couple of risk factors. I mean, or and the two that I can think of, you know, immediately that are probably the highest are one, you know, if someone has some hypermobility of their joints prior to pregnancy. And so you know, I, I, I liken that to saying like, oh, when you were, t- you were told as a kid, you were double jointed or your joints are really hyperextended or you, you know, and so a lot of times that comes in this form of like, oh, I could do these weird th- tricks with my legs when I was a kid, or I can bend my, my thumb back and for, to my wrist. I mean, there's different ways to check for it, but to some women who have that kind of increased hypermobility beforehand and before pregnancy, uh, we certainly see even more hypermobility during their, their pregnancy that might put them at risk for that. And that kind of feeling of their leg is falling off, or like I said, loosey goosey. Right. The other thing is, is that in general, the biggest risk factor for for some sort of pelvic girdle pain during pregnancy is really pelvic girdle pain of some sort prior to pregnancy. So if you've had pain in these areas before you had, uh, before you got pregnant, um, it really does increase your risk factor for having that kind of pain during the, the pregnancy. So that's where I start to try to talk to people. If I see them before they're going to get pregnant and they have this pain or they're thinking about getting pregnant is kind of talking to them about potentially a kind of rehab of what we call sometimes prehab, right. which is like pre-rehabbing and getting kind of getting in shape for pregnancy before you even are pregnant. So someone comes to your office and they're, you know, in the middle or towards the end of pregnancy and someone like me sent them to you and they come in complaining of pain. How do you evaluate them? You know, what what is it that you go through, the steps you take, you know, either in the questions you ask or the exam that you do or a test that you might do that help you, number one, define what's going on and B, what you're going to do about it. In terms of the questions that I ask, it's a lot about, obviously, there's a bunch of standard questions that we often ask for patients with pain about in terms of things like what makes it better? What makes it worse? Do you feel it anywhere else? Does it radiate anywhere? Is it felt in one spot? And sometimes you feel it all the way down your leg. You know, does it wake you up at night? You know, kind of key questions that are important in terms of, of pain in general. And then, of course, if there are certain activities that make it worse, what are, what are those activities? If there's certain things that they can point to that make it better. What are those things? Because a lot of times the answers to those questions can help direct us in a diagnosis of what might be going on. And so that's kind of usually where I'll I'll start is asking them a bunch of questions about their pain in general. Of course, asking their history, history of pain and in these areas, like I mentioned before, sometimes is a risk factor. And then, um, you know, of course, taking a routine medical history of patients, you know, luckily most pregnant women 
come in and, and are pretty young and healthy and, and don't have a lot of major medical issues. But there are sometimes, you know, certain comorbid conditions, you know, whether it's a, a rheumatologic or autoimmune cause of other types of joint pain that we should know about and things of that nature to take into consideration. And then in terms of an exam, you know, based on what we kind of talked about as a history, kind of kind of guide the exam in terms of what to look for. And so, but usually what I do is an exam where I'm looking at patients' lower back and their kind of alignment of their pelvis. I will often, you know, then I will look at their hip joints. I kind of systematically go through the whole pelvic girdle, kind of looking at their joints to make sure that we're highlighting what we need to kind of really address. And so someone might have pain in their left sacroiliac joint in their backside, but on exam, they may have pain that I can reproduce or find or cause in their right hip. And so, you know, like you said before, sometimes, you know, that, that ring or that you, you called it a circle, but I, sometimes I, I refer to it as a ring that connects in different places. You know, you may have pain in one place that you're feeling on a daily basis, but it could actually be because you might have some more instability in the hip joint that normally is stable too. And so that they all kind of work interchangeably. So on exam, I'll often look for different signs of instability, reproducing certain pain um, with certain exam maneuvers and certain specific maneuvers that kind of helped us figure out the actual diagnosis and then come up with a treatment plan based on what we find on the exam. And usually, like I mentioned earlier, the treatment plan, for, especially for pregnant and postpartum women, is usually some sort of rehab or physical therapy and based on whatever might be causing their, their symptoms. I, I guess I forgot to mention going back is, you know, also looking at those, the muscles and the muscle strength and figuring out what muscles may be weak or um, tight in certain places that can then also cause pain too. So, and directing a rehab program based on, on that. And so, you know, that's where I will often explain that, you know, yes, PT can be, you know, you may, you can send someone to physical therapy and that physical therapist might be really, really helpful and really smart and be able to figure all of this out. But sometimes, you know, having a, a diagnosis and kind of putting the, the physical therapist and putting patients in the right direction of what to treat from the, the evaluation can be really helpful. And then it's also important to kind of note if things are not getting better, you know, what to do next. I always say that pregnancy is nine months you know, you don't want to be uncomfortable for that long. And so if you're having pain and we send you for treatment of it and it's not getting any better, then we need to reassess it because pain, typical pain during pregnancy that we send for rehab or for physical therapy usually does improve. And so if it's not, then we start to look for other causes. And there are sometimes other things that we have to look into that may be contributing to people's symptoms. Right. How often do you have to order imaging, like an MRI or an X-ray or something? Is that is that typical or atypical? Usually atypical, but it's not infrequent. Not infrequent compared to what people think it would be. Um, I think most people feel that you know imaging during pregnancy is not safe. Um, certainly, we know that you know too much radiation during pregnancy is not safe, and we try to avoid any radiation in pregnancy. So we typically avoid X-rays and CAT scans that have a lot of you know radiation. But MRIs are, and you know, they always want to know, ask their OB first. So you can support me here. Yeah, MRI, MRI is good. Yeah, and we're, and we're but, fine with it. We're fine with X-rays too. It's 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 CAT scans really only only if you absolutely need it because there's more radiation. But usually, you right. guys are going to want an MRI anyways. Sure, exactly. So, you know, so an MRI, um, you know, is is safe. And so sometimes we will order that if things are not getting better to kind of help figure out, 
you know, what might be going on if there's something that we're missing on exam or, you know, if someone's getting worse, you know, it, it, we take into account what's getting worse. Usually for a pregnant woman, if we're going to order an MRI, it's usually, you know, some sort of the pelvic girdle, so of the, of the pelvis or sometimes of a one hip or two hips, um, and occasionally of the lower back, of the lumbar spine to, to rule out anything that might be coming from there that's causing some pain. Right. And sometimes, I mean, it could get pretty severe for some women. I mean, obviously the majority of the pain is mild, annoying to maybe affecting their daily sort of activities. But for some women, like they can't walk. They've got, you know, walkers and wheelchairs and it's, it's pretty horrific. There is subset of patients that really end up pretty debilitated. And, and that's another role that a physiatrist in general plays, whether it's me or somebody else. But a lot of times we kind of help, you know, get that patient through the pregnancy based on other rehab modalities. And so that's where things like a walker or a cane or a wheelchair if needed um, and kind of urging sometimes because there's there's some things that really you just need to, to, to rest and it's, but you still need to function, right? So, so using a walker or a cane is a way to be able to walk around still but and, and do some daily activities, but do it without putting so much load on your pelvis and taking off load there. Or Aside from physical therapy, what other treatments might you recommend, um, like or other specialists you may get involved you know, in terms of maybe like acupuncture or massage or medications? What else do you use in your armamentarium to help these women? Sure. So I think one of the bigger things that I help with is, is bracing and some sort of brace support or, you know, there's a lot of women who will come and they kind of have this typical kind of pregnancy bands or that there's, you know, a million different kinds that you can buy on online. And those can be really helpful, but there are a couple of specific ones that we often recommend depending on a patient's condition. Usually they're, you know, if, again, if it's pelvic girdle pain, it's related to instability, but there's often a brace that we use that's a little bit more supportive and we like to help support that instability. If it's something more like pain in the lower back, we'll often, I'll often recommend a more specific belly band, but really more kind of helps take load off the lower back because sometimes there's ones that have like suspenders and things that you can kind of really offload, kind of think more a little bit more mechanically about truly helping the problem rather than just kind of throwing on some sort of belt and, and saying, oh yeah, like, you know, this can, you know, take pressure off your back. So there's, there are some specific braces that we will recommend at times. And then other treatments that, uh, that we use, like you said, acupuncture is definitely something that I often refer patients for and kind of can recommend if pain is not getting better or if they, if they want to do it, then we'll recommend that. There's little that I wouldn't recommend, um, you know, there's massage therapy, there's chiropractors. I mean, there are some really good ones out there that are all very, you know, good with pregnant. I mean, you just have to find someone that really is comfortable with pregnant. Like you said, kind of in the beginning, some people just don't want to touch pregnant women and are, you know, you know, don't understand the pregnancy related changes. And, and so you really want to find someone that is comfortable treating pregnant women. Uh, and so I think that that's the biggest, you know, barrier that I see sometimes is that, you know, it's hard, hard sometimes to find, I mean, maybe not in New York City, because we have lots and lots of treatment providers. But sometimes I think in, in smaller communities, it's hard to find people that are really specific towards and comfortable with pregnant related conditions. So, I mean, in terms of medications, we do do that, or I do use those sometimes. Obviously, 
in in small amounts. Um, I'd say the two most common medications that I'll prescribe or tell people to use is is not really necessarily prescription is Tylenol, um, you know, which is considered safe, and then um, a muscle relaxer, which is considered you know, class B in medications in terms of as much data as we have, we know that it doesn't necessarily cause any harm to the fetus or to the mom. And so that's a prescription-based muscle relaxer that in some patients who have a really, you know, have a lot of spasm or a lot of tightness and a lot of kind of muscle pain that makes them not be able to sleep at night, especially because it can, that medicine can make you drowsy. Sometimes we'll, we'll use that, you know, and then beyond that, we'll use other medications sparingly um, and often in consultation with the obstetrician to figure out, you know, what to use. Sometimes steroids, you know, so, you know, if it's an inflammatory issue or we think that that there's a big portion of inflammation going on, um, we know that things like Motrin, Advil, and Aleve can't be used. So, we can use steroids, which are, you know, an anti-inflammatory as well. And so sometimes we'll use steroids instead of that if we really need to. And then, you know, here and there, if it, depending on patient's history, you know, we, we certainly don't want to prescribe opiates, but sometimes they are necessary. And, and in small amounts, I think, um, you know, are okay too. It, it's just a matter of keeping an eye on, on the baby, the mom, and, and watching for, for side effects. Is there anything women can do that will help avoid this, right, either before pregnancy or in the beginning of pregnancy that you found to be helpful? I've seen these kinds of conditions in the in the fittest of individuals who go into pregnancy, you know, in the gym five days a week, you know, great core strength, great, you know, muscle strength everywhere, doing, you know, lots of great exercises and they come in with these symptoms. And then I've also seen the opposite of patients who are totally not very mobile and not very athletic and they don't like to go to the gym and they're not someone who exercises regularly and they have these symptoms. So it's it's hard because in in general I will say that the way to the most likely way to prevent some of these things is going into a pregnancy as quote strong as possible in terms of uh, core strains. And when I say the core, I kind of mean the, the lower back the, the low back muscles, the upper back muscles, the abdominal muscles. And often the the glute muscles, which are really part of the core too, and then of course your pelvic floor muscles, and kind of keeping all of that as strong as possible going into a pregnancy, you know. But I've also seen this, you know, kind of like come to head in patients who who are really strong. So, but other than that, I, I can't think of a way to really prevent it, um, you know. And so I think that I'd be concerned to tell people that you know, to prevent it, like, don't do anything. I mean, because that's not great. And then also, you know, but exercising a lot also doesn't necessarily prevent it. Right. And I think it makes sense. It, it it decreases the chance potentially, but it's it could happen to anyone. Meaning if it happens to someone, it doesn't mean they're out of shape or anything. It's often not anything that that the person did or didn't do. It's, it's really much more of kind of their body's way of handling the pregnancy more than anything. And maybe just, you know, subtle imbalances in muscle that we can find on exam when it starts to creep up. Right. And another question that I know a lot of listeners might have is, how does someone know as a pregnant woman, how should they know if they should be seeing you or just sort of saying, all right, this is kind of normal and, you know, let's just wait till after the baby's born. Is it everyone should see you if they have pain or only if it reaches a certain, you know, degree of pain or immobility or how, how would someone make that decision for themselves if let's say their obstetrician is not sending them to you? What I would basically say to that is if pain, if you're, so 
course, there's some degree of pain that is kind of typical and expected. But if the pain is to a point that it's interfering with your daily life activities, um, you know, it's preventing you from working like you should or, you know, you know, walking to the grocery store or really or taking a shower, or things like that. If it's really preventing you and gotten to the point where it's so bad that you can't do those daily function activities that you need to do, then to definitely see, to come see myself or someone like myself, depending on where you are, to really have it assessed and kind of come up with a treatment plan because that really shouldn't be the case. And most of that kind of pain can get better if treated correctly. I think that another red flag would be if there's any kind of, of weakness that you're, 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 I guess maybe that would cause difficulty with your kind of daily living. But if you're having all of a sudden types of like nerve signs, like things of nerve issues that we get worried about sometimes that can be causing pain, but also things like weakness in your feet or numbness and tingling in your feet or legs or, you know, sometimes, or sometimes even neck pain can be, can cause that too. We're not talking about that today, but you can have similar things in the arms, but anything that kind of seems like there's a change in your kind of neurologic function that would also be a reason to, to come like I said we can kind of evaluate that more from a musculoskeletal and neurologic perspective right and then one other thing that a lot of women ask me at least what, what are your thoughts about cesarean do you ever recommend to women because of what's going on in your pelvis you should have a c-section because if you try to deliver vaginally you're going to get injured or you won't recover or something like that it's really multifactorial. The general answer is no. I do not necessarily recommend a C-section, if it's, especially if it's a first pregnancy and there's no history of anything or injury during their actual delivery or anything like that. I wouldn't necessarily recommend a C-section. There are two or three studies that do actually show that patients who have had pelvic girdle pain or some sort of pain in the pelvic area during their pregnancy, that actually those that went to, on to have a C-section had more prolonged pain than those who did not. So, you know, it's not, they're not big, huge studies by any chance, like by any sort of the means, like in terms of like, you know, what we consider in medicine is like a huge study that definitely proves something, but it is a little study that shows us that really there's no reason why you can't try to have a vaginal delivery. This really comes up more for patients who have like pubic symphysis and pubic pain or, right. you know, you know, or pain in the anterior or front of the pelvis rather than like the more typical sacroiliac joint kind of pain. But in general, no, I mean, I don't recommend a C-section. There's really, you know, a lot of this is, especially when this all starts to creep up in the third trimester, the thought is that this pain may be adaptive to be able to accommodate the baby to have a, a vaginal delivery. And so that, you know, your body is doing all of this and you may be having this pain, but it's preparing for you to have a vaginal delivery and you, and you really should, unless there's some other reason that you can't have one. Usually there is no reason to kind of have a, a C-section or a plan for a C-section. There are obviously exceptions. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I typically say the same that it's, you know, if people have all this pain, it's, it's not known that having a C-section will, you know, make you recover faster. And as you said, there's some evidence and make, it may make it worse. Number two, you know, the loosey-goosey pelvis, it's there so the baby can fit. So if someone has right. it worse, it may have an easier delivery, you know, so to speak. And, you know, there's, if you have pain in your pelvis and then you have extra pain from a cesarean, it may, you know, compound it. You can't, you can't be as mobile. You can't walk. You can't recover as quickly. So yeah, I also don't typically recommend a cesarean. Again, there's obviously, you said some 
exceptions to that, but those are, are really just that exceptions. I, I wanted to focus, it's actually a really good segue into pubic symphysis pain, because this is something that's you know, quite unique. I think we see it a lot in pregnancy, and it's not really seen a lot, at least I don't think so, in other populations to the same degree. And where they have pain really right in the front, it's pretty exquisite. Some people you know, can't walk very well, and you know, it either, it either happens before they deliver or after they deliver. How do you address that problem specifically first during pregnancy and then second after they deliver when it tends to be worse? You're right. I mean, it is a condition that's more commonly seen in pregnant and postpartum women than than your average uh, other, you know, non-pregnant uh, women or men. And so in terms of addressing it, I mean, to be honest, it's not much different than what I've kind of talked about already in terms of of what's going on. I, it really is very similar to this idea of the, of that ring and kind of, you know, the inflammation that might be caused, you know, be coming from that, you know, in the sense that I often will talk to people about the fact that like, your abdominal muscles and your inner thigh muscles kind of insert onto that front pubic bone and that pubic symphysis. So a lot of times, if those are weak, then your your pelvis is, is going to be a little bit more unstable. And so that might be why you're feeling some extra pain or more pain in that spot. And that strengthening those muscles can really be be helpful. The patients that I see mostly that are worse after their delivery are the ones who either had pain prior to the delivery, but it really wasn't addressed um, at all. You know, it may be someone who you know doesn't, you know, have a physiatrist that's on hand or doesn't isn't familiar with these issues as much as, as you are as an obstetrician, but patients who get treated during their pregnancy and are able to do some rehab often I find at least that they a lot of times will do better. A lot of the patients who have such severe pain after delivery are ones who didn't necessarily have it during right. their, their pregnancy. Right. It happened and during so, the birth. Yeah, exactly. And so that's where I usually say it happens, um, you know, during delivery for whatever reason, um, you know, maybe it's that person whose pelvis didn't expand slowly in the last trimester. And so it kind of abruptly expanded during the delivery, you know, maybe, uh, you know, there, there are studies that show, you know, a delivery with a vacuum or forceps can sometimes increase the risk of a, an injury to that area. Let's focus on the woman who was, did not see you during pregnancy because she had no symptoms or very, very mild symptoms then she delivers and she can barely walk. And this this happens. Like we have women, it's not it's not common, but it definitely happens. And they can barely get out of bed. They can barely move. We're highly confident what the diagnosis is. We almost always get an x-ray only because it's right. like, and it's like really the radiologist is like, whoa, <laughs> like those bones are separate. Right. And so right. we know what's going on. And we, you know, we say to them, okay, like this is what it is. It's going to improve with time. It may take a while. And we refer them to you. And you see them, right? And you're pretty confident right. this right. is a diagnosis. What do you do for them in terms of like specific recommendations? And what do you tell them in terms of the prognosis, meaning how long is it going to take for them to get better? First, I'll just say that just to, to let everybody know that there's a difference because on Google, you'll find something called pubic synthesis dysfunction versus pubic synthesis diastasis or diastasis pubis. And medically speaking, diastasis means separation. And so there's a difference between dysfunction and separation in the sense that a lot of times I'll say dysfunction really is when you have that instability and you have some pain, but it's not actually separated versus diastasis is when it's that joint really separates. And the separation is really what usually happens during childbirth um, and what we see postpartum. And like what you're saying, these 
women who really have a lot of difficulty walking. A lot of times they feel like their legs are really heavy. They have trouble getting in and out of bed. And so those women who, you know, they get really, rightly so, they get scared. Like, what's going to happen? I can't, I can't walk. I just had a baby. This isn't supposed to happen. And, but like you said, I mean, we will often get x-rays and it will sometimes show and or often show usually this like separation of the pubic bone or the pubic symphysis. And the, the rehab for it is quite helpful. But initially we often tell patients, you know, rest is very important too. And kind of, you know, not to push through the pain um, of this. And we often tell them to kind of put on one of those braces that I mentioned earlier to kind of help push things together um, a little bit and try to hope that that starts to help close that gap. And then also for this population, it's really important to really go slow. So I, I, I kind of always encourage patients to realize that I'm telling them like in their first two weeks of having a baby that they really shouldn't be going out walking. They shouldn't, you know, in New York, right now it's nice out, they shouldn't be taking the stroller out and going for walks. You really want to do the the bare minimum to let that, that bone kind of heal and come back together and slowly start to use the decrease in pain as a guide to doing more. It does improve. I'll usually also prescribe anti-inflammatory medicines like ibuprofen at doses that are considered anti-inflammatory. And so it's, I always stress that, that it's not really, patients are like, oh, I can, I can bear with the pain. It's not the pain that's not that bad. And I, I try to tell them that it's, I'm not giving it to them for the pain purpose. It's really to give it to them for that inflammation, which is definitely there and can persist prolonged or even long-term without taking that medicine. So I kind of, that's one of the other big treatment modalities that I'll recommend after patients have a baby and have this kind of condition. Um, and then it's, it's slowly getting rehab and kind of getting them back into to functioning and eventually back into, into physical therapy to kind of help strengthen those muscles. The prognosis is, is usually very good. Um, you know, there are people, I would say, within the first three to six months, most people are back to doing their regular activities, can get back into the gym and get back into doing their fitness routines, maybe kind of with some guidance of like high impact exercise and and kind of modulating that a little bit, but most people can get back into their their routine for sure. Of course, there's always outliers, but I I usually say by three to six months that that patients are are better, you know, are Certainly, I say even before three months, you're able to walk and maybe, you know, go out for a, a mile walk or something like that. But three to six months to really getting back into a normal exercise routine and getting back into their their fitness program. Right. And then for their next pregnancy, uh, again, you typically recommend sort of the, the prehab. You to had try to ask to prehab. me that, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, that's that, that, this is the, you know, the, the coup de grace. This is the big one. Someone has that. They have like a three to six month recovery and they're going to get pregnant again. What do you do with them? That's usually my biggest question from patients. Right. Um, when I see them at that point, it's a, you know, or even, I mean, sometimes patients are thinking about their next pregnancy when they're only six weeks postpartum. Right. They're, they're dealing with this. They're like, well, no, they're we, like, like, oh we, God, we encourage like... that. It's good for business. We like to plan ahead. <laughs> so, yes, do not discourage yeah. women from that, please. No, 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 no. I'm not. <laughs> I certainly do. I, I will certainly say that I never tell patients not to get, not to have another baby because of this. Assuming that you get better and recover from this, when you start to think about having another baby, come back and talk to me and we can kind of talk about ways to prevent it or ways to prolong the symptoms as much as possible as you go into another pregnancy. And and then usually what I'll say, I'll see them, I'll give them that kind of advice, then they go and they get pregnant. And then, you know, I say, you know, come back to me, 
either when you start to feel symptoms or in you know the beginning of the second trimester. Right. Um, and so, you know, you know, once you kind of pass that point of everything is going well with the pregnancy and everything's moving, moving smoothly, you know, come back and see me. If, of course, if, it, if you start to have pain even before that, then I tell people to come in earlier. But that's usually what I'll, I'll say. Thank you so much. What, an, what a great like review of this. There's so much information there. Unfortunately, there's so much misinformation out there. And I know it's really good for us to have you locally. We can send patients to you and we know that they're getting a really thorough evaluation and good recommendations for treatment. You know, even for people who aren't in New York City and can't see you, this idea that even though it's very common, you don't have to suffer (laughs) throughout pregnancy. There are people who treat this and know what they're doing and can help you uh, both during pregnancy and postpartum. And uh, if you don't feel like you're getting the treatment you need, keep looking around because people like you exist, fortunately. Yeah, they are. And they're they're increasing in number in terms of from our specialty in general, in terms of physiatrists or, you know, PM&R docs, there's definitely more and more as we learn more and more about these conditions. And, you know, I, I'm, a, you know, at Cornell, so I, we have residents that we train and they go off into other places. They may not be specializing in necessarily in women's health and only seeing women, you know, women and with these kinds of issues, but they've learned about it in their training. Right. And so, um, you know, so chances are as it grows as a field and we know more information and we are able to train more residents in these kinds of things, you know, chances are you can find someone to help. Great. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I appreciate your time. Uh, My this pleasure. Was We're going to have you on again. We're going to talk about some other stuff, I'm sure. Thank you for listening to the Healthful Woman podcast. To learn more about our podcast, please visit our website at www.healthfulwoman.com. That's H-E-A-L-T-H-F-U-L-W-O-M-A-N.com. If you have any questions about this podcast or any other topic you would like us to address, please feel free to email us at hw at healthfulwoman.com. Have a great day. The information discussed in Healthful Woman is intended for educational uses only. It does not replace medical care from your physician. Healthful Woman is meant to expand your knowledge of women's health and does not replace ongoing care from your regular physician or gynecologist. We encourage you to speak with your doctor about specific diagnoses and treatment options for an effective treatment plan.